0: Sports Talk with Buhle Madulini Right, uh, let's move on to some tennis news now. And I'm going to be talking to Peter Stemmer. You you might uh, know him pretty well if you've been a, a fan of, well, news channels. And generally, if you're a 702 listener you or a Cape Talk listener, you're somebody that is glued to the news channels as well. Now, he's been in television for more than eight years. He's currently a sports presenter at uh, Al Jazeera in Doha. That is where he's based. But you would have seen him on channels like ENCA um, as well as AN 7 and the E! News channel uh peter thank you so much for coming on to sports talk it's such a pleasure to have you on the show uh,
1: the pleasure is all mine Bukle. thank you very much for the opportunity
0: look we're talking uh, tennis uh, peter and of course Covid nineteen has thrown everything into shambles, but we've we've seen a return to action in some parts of the world. Um, understandably, there was the Battle of the Bricks exhibition tournament that took place at the Lawn Tennis Association. I mean, um during the weekend, Andy Murray, he's made his return. He's come back into tennis, but he did pull out eventually before he could get all the way through to the finals.
1: Yeah, I mean, Andy Murray has uh, had injury problems as well over the last sort of year and a half. Remember, uh, before last year's Australian Open, he actually announced that he was going to retire and that last year's Wimbledon uh, supposedly was going to be the end of his career. But as we know, ever since then, he's been prolonging, I suppose, what is the inevitable. But, you know, it's good to see one of um, one of the sport's great athletes um, still competing. However, I, I have to wonder... Just how much of him not partaking in the remainder of this particular tournament has to do with COVID-19 versus his actual injury problems, mm. which, as I have said, it has been going on for a long period of time. So, you know, I'm not trying to discredit his, his reasons, but as I say, there, there, there is that lingering doubt. There's also, you
0: know, the concerns that he's raised about the revised ATP calendar. Um, especially seeing that there are still two Grand Slams that uh, the ATP still wants to have. And the one will be the US Open and then Roland Garros uh, only a fortnight apart as well. Uh, What kind of concerns does Murray have with those two uh,
1: tournaments in particular? Yeah, I think Murray's uh, concerns are valid. Let me let me say that much. I think they are valid. Um, it's obviously to do with things like social distancing, uh, things to do with players coming into contact with each other. Uh, we know that there won't be any fans at the US Open. That's already been announced. Um, I, I'm not 100% sure what Roland Garros has decided, if they have actually made a, a final decision. As to whether there'll be fans or not, uh, my guess would be that they wouldn't be anyway. In fact, uh, any of these uh, seven tournaments that have been um, put on the calendar to be held in consecutive weeks, I I'd, I'd can't see fans being at any of them anyway. Uh, and I think, again, I think that Murray makes a fair point. It's, it is a concern, especially, like let, let's be honest, the United States, uh, in terms of uh, infection numbers and, and rates, yeah. uh, right up there as as one of the worst, uh, worst affected in the entire world. So if you're going to be in New York for the US Open, do you really want to be somewhere else in the United States the week before that mm. or be potentially Europe, you know, shortly after that. And then you just create an, a, a bigger problem with, with things like infections. And I, look, I, I'm no health expert. I'm not a doctor or, or, or certainly I'm, I'm not even an, an amateur follower of, of medical matters. So, you know, I, I'll be the last person to give any kind of uh, prediction on on infection rates and COVID-19. Um, but, you know, the, the numbers are out there. The data is there for all to see. And um, We've got practical uh, examples of of what has taken place and what has happened. So, you know, a little bit of common sense. And as I say, Murray has valid concerns, but at the same time, there will be players who will decide otherwise. And I think that we should respect that. Every player uh, needs to make their own decision and decide what's best for them. And, uh, you know, if Murray decides that it's not in his best interest to play the U.S. Open, then so be it.
0: I mean, we've had fa- um, players who have slammed the U.S. Open's decision to not have fans. And I, you know, I'm trying to kind of get my, my, my thinking around that, to wrap my brain around that. Why on earth would you want to expose yourself like that? Uh, have you heard any worthwhile reasons as to why these players do not want to play the U.S. Open behind closed doors?
1: Uh, to be honest with you, I think that uh, you're you, you're spot on there with 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 everything that you've mentioned in 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 the question. Uh, you know, again, the United States has got a has got you know horrible numbers when it comes to infections and and infection rates, and the the bottom line is that the USTA, who runs the US Open, they have to make what they deem the best decision in the interests of the players, the match officials, spectators, sponsors, et cetera, et cetera. So they've obviously decided that they want to go ahead and have a U.S. Open this year, as has Roland Garros. Wimbledon, we know, has been canceled. And now decided that obviously it's not a good idea to have fans in the stadium. And, you know, if if you look at what happened with Novak Djokovic's, uh, t- you know, tour that that only lasted, I think, two weekends—one one event in Belgrade, the other in um, in Croatia, in Zagreb. Uh, you you look at what happened there, and and don't forget that in Serbia, in particular, the government there actually opened up and allowed spectators to come to hmm. sport. So. I know Djokovic has been blasted for, for 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 what he did, but the reality is that he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything illegal. Fans were allowed to go to the stadium, and that's why he ha- um why he had that event there. Now in the United States, they've obviously thought differently. They haven't got those kind of rules. They haven't opened up stadiums for fans to come back. And you know, quite frankly, if you want to have a US Open, in my opinion, I think that you should have fans there. And if it's not safe to have fans, there it takes away so much from from the atmosphere. Uh, that you know, why why have it at all then? Why not just? cancel it for this year, right off 2020 and say, all right, we'll come back in 2021 and try again. Exactly. I mean, you know, you, you get
0: the sense with essentially all the sports that's come back uh, during this coronavirus pandemic, um, that it's all about the money. It's all about the paper. And, and no doubt with Novak Djokovic, that was one of the reasons why he decided to have this tour that essentially shocked the world because we were going, whoa, wait, what are you doing? Um, but hey, <laughs> he went on with it.
1: He did. Uh, listen, just one thing. Just in defence of Djokovic, and 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 I'm not I'm, I'm not trying to to uh, sugarcoat what he did and, and and what happened. But you know, hindsight is, is is an exact science, and obviously, right now he looks really bad. But just just one point. Firstly, the Djokovic's Adria tour, the 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 proceeds that uh, were um, generated from that were meant to go to charity. So so let, let, let's not just say that this is purely commercial and Mm. it's all for money it was actually for charity Um, and obviously the players uh, would have got some kind of appearance fee so so that's also true but uh, again it it wasn't necessarily just for money It, it was for charity in his defense and then again if I can just say again that the reality is that the Serbian government has opened up sports stadiums for fans to go and attend so Yes, it looks really bad right now with Djokovic obviously getting infected. his coach Goran Ivanisevic, I uh, know Borna Choric was one of the players. I think they, they were, Grigor Dimitrov was another one. There were quite a few. Mm. Um, so obviously it's really, really bad right now in hindsight. Uh, but don't forget that about, I think it was two days or two nights before um, Djokovic and his, and his players um, uh, arrived in Belgrade for, for that event. Um, Partizan Belgrade and Red Star Belgrade played, played a derby match and I think there were 40,000 fans in the stadium. So I, I don't—I'm I, unable to tell you how many of those people have uh, contracted COVID-19, if any. Mm. Uh, you would think that, um, that there probably were infections as a result, but you know, let, let's just bear that in mind as well. I think uh, another thing that that you know
0: made waves was Jocko's initial stance on um, on uh, what's this thing. Uh, the term, just excuse me, on vaccinations and, you know, he didn't really? really talk about it in terms of just coronavirus, but it was vaccinations in general Uh and then he went and and, and contracted coronavirus Um after he had obviously backtracked on what he had said, uh, but he, along with him Grigor Dimitrov, uh, Borna Toric, uh, Troiki as well, all returned positive and what does that do now when you look at the possibility of you know, the seven seven and seven, the seven tournaments in seven weeks that the ATP are, are are looking at uh, holding.
1: Yeah, it raises all sorts of questions. Uh, you know, how did it come about that Djokovic and and, and the other players that we mentioned, how, how did it come about that they contracted uh, COVID-19? Is it because there were a few thousand fans in the stadium? Uh, is it because they had it with, you know, one of them had it or one of their team members had it and obviously they were they were mingling. I know that there were stories of having, parties in the evening and, and this sort of thing. So, you know, again, it doesn't look very good in hindsight. Um, there's going to be a recovery period. And look, September is, you know, at least two months away. Yeah. I mean, depending on how you want to look at it, you could say it's three months away. But let's just say there's at least two months before uh, these players need to be in action at the US Open. <sighs> again, it, 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 in my opinion, it asks more questions than what it answers, and if you look at, at football, again, I mean, we've seen the Premier League is back, Bundesliga, Serie A, La Liga, um, but, you know, these leagues have all come back behind closed doors. There's no fans. Um, even in the other uh, American sports, Major League Baseball is, is actually trying to, to get something going so that they can start again in July. Um, but that's not turning out so well because players left, right and centre are testing positive mm. for COVID-19 NBA. Uh, They are also trying to get started again. They've they've tried to create a little bubble for themselves um, in Orlando, uh, Florida at uh, Disney World. So everyone will just be based there. Uh, But what happens when somebody, uh, you know, contracts COVID-19? You you know, if all goes well, nobody contracts COVID-19. But, you know, what are the chances of that happening? You know, you have to factor these things in. So, Right. We're going to go ahead. We're going to have a U.S. Open. But already people like Djokovic and, and Rafa Nadal have questioned whether or not they would actually travel to the States to go and take part in this. So, you know, it could be a watered down tournament, perhaps. Maybe, you know, Roger Federer won't be there. He's injured. He's not playing for the rest of the year anyway. Um, so it makes no difference to, to, to him and his statistics. But maybe it's an opportunity uh, for someone like uh, like Andy Murray to actually win another major, or whoever is, is taking part. It could be an opportunity for them. But again, you know, more questions than answers, and. My take is I would have just personally, I would have cancelled it and just said, let's try again in 2021.
0: Yeah, it could be an opportunity for the next generation, such as, uh, as Zverev, to get their hands on uh, some Grand Slam silverware. Uh, let's quickly talk about the fact that the US Open uh, will not be having a wheelchair uh, tennis tournament. It will just be the able-bodied um, athletes that will be taking part. Uh, decision slammed by plenty of, of tennis uh, wheelchair tennis players uh, and uh, associations and bodies alike
1: yeah th- that 's actually changed um, there 's some some new information on that uh, because that, that was what happened originally uh, that they announced that there would be no um, wheelchair tennis um, but the, the world number one in in quads uh, Dylan allcott uh, i think uh, if i 'm not mistaken i think he 's British. Um, he, uh, you know, had a had a little social media campaign, uh, you know, asking what more must he do? He's the defending champion. He's world number one. Uh, and um, the USTA actually reversed their decision. Uh, and so wheelchair tennis will be taking place at Flushing Meadows after all. Uh, and, you know, again, if you ask me, if you're going to do it, you should do it properly. So mm. this half-half. Approach is something that I I disagree with you. You either do it properly or you don't do it at all. And okay, fine if they're going to say they're not going to have fans, you know, in my opinion, that's not doing it properly. But if we can still have a decent tournament, then okay, fine, let's go ahead uh, and do that. But to just water it down, firstly by not having fans, and then secondly saying we're not going to have wheelchair tennis, you know, that that to me that's nonsense. So so it's a welcome decision and a welcome change that. uh, the likes of Allcott and uh, and others will indeed uh, have their opportunity. I mean,
0: you mentioned something uh, a little bit earlier on that, um, look, maybe they should have just decided to scrap the entire uh, 2020 season um, and maybe just place, you know, exhibition matches, raise funds for COVID-impacted regions and people and players uh, instead of actually trying to revive the season. Um, Has any tournament official or any official in that space mentioned something along those lines that perhaps we should just look at the goodwill of people instead of look at trying to revive the tennis season that has already been uh,
1: lost? If someone has said that, uh, I'm not aware of it and that shouldn't come as a surprise. Uh, Look, the bottom line is, again, I mean, you mentioned it earlier about it being about money and at the end of the day, it is about money. Um, there are so many commercial interests at stake here, um, players obviously match officials, fans, but sponsors and TV rights you know the, the, the TV companies want tournaments to put on the TV for people to watch uh, and then they can sell advertising that's that 's how sport uh, runs that 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 is how it works you know people will often talk about uh, you know the, the the sort of sometimes the glory or the honor of 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 the old days when it it was gentlemen and ladies that competed you know what uh, those days are long gone and they're not coming back um and quite frankly um if you look at what commercialism uh, has done for sport i mean obviously there's positives and negatives but on the positive side um it means that athletes are more professional than they've ever been before and because they're more professional than they've ever been been before training regimes are better, diets are better, skill levels have improved. And the reality is, uh, if you ask me anyway, if Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, probably the guy ranked 100 in in, in the world right now, if he had to take on a uh, someone like Fred Perry in the 1930s, I have no doubt that he would demolish him. And I know a lot of people wouldn't like to hear that uh, and argue that it's, that, that, that it's impossible to make that comparison. And maybe it is because you can't really compare eras. But if you look at how people were training and eating in the 1930s, I can't see how a player from that era would have any chance against somebody from 2020. Um, Anyway, I'm kind of uh, getting off off the point a little bit here. But yeah, I I think what you've mentioned is is a good idea. Charity events, you know, it it does make more sense. And again, that is actually what Djokovic was trying to achieve. Um, Just as we we now know, um, it, it didn't work out so well. Unfortunately
0: not. Uh, Peter Stemet, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, Bukhle, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: He is an Al Jazeera sports journalist. Uh, you would have seen him, I'm pretty sure of it, uh, from uh, our very own channels in South Africa, ENCA, E-News Channel, as well as ANN7. Now he is applying his trade all the way in Doha. It's just gone 14 minutes to 9 o'clock. Seven o two
1: Sports Talk, SMS
0: Portland, on 31702. Now, um, if you're wondering who won the Battle of the Brits Tournament, well, it was Dan Evans. He uh, beat Carl Edmund in the straight sets six, six, 6-3 and 6-2, of course, in front of no spectators at the National Tennis Center, while Andy Murray withdrew from his match. it does say that it was due to a sore shin but uh, as uh, um, Peter Stem had said, we wonder how much of that might have been as a result of this entire pandemic that has caused uh, an, uh, an extended break in tennis, an extended break in the world of sport. But uh, yeah, our tennis athletes uh, prepare for seven tournaments in seven weeks and it's going to be grueling and punishing to say the least uh, and we hope that uh, for their sake they will be able to stay safe to stay injury free uh, so that we can have a decent 2021 season at least uh, we know that uh, roger fedra has decided to can the season already and just continue with his rehabilitation as he looks to prolong his tennis career as much as possible sports talk with Buhle right it's time to talk cars now Kumim sagazi on the line kumbi welcome to the show Thanks for having me, Boucher. Uh, now it says here that you drove a Suzuki Espresso, and I thought to myself, um, is it a coffee cup? Is it
2: like a, a drink? What, what is a Suzuki Espresso? <laughs> I think that was, they, they should have actually shot a, a TV com- or a coffee commercial with that um, with that car. Actually, it's a, it's, a, it's quite a small car, um, similar to and you know and uh, you know how you take a shot of an espresso. Small as well, mm. uh, and I was fortunate enough to spend the entire weekend with it and oh, it's a budget car, and I love it love to hate it <laughs>
0: yeah, you love to <laughs> did you say, look, it is a budget car, and uh in the time that we are in at the moment, uh budget cars I believe will will come to the fore a lot more because we still need to get from point a to point b, but the the the, the, the money is just no longer there as much um when you look at it, you can see that it's a budget car. Uh, in terms of in terms of the bells and whistles, though, what have Suzuki given this car to make you feel like you're in a decent vehicle, if I can put it that way?
2: So I, I think what Suzuki has have, have gone and done, I mean, this is now um, the younger sibling of the Solario. So I think they've tried, obviously. I mean, it's a budget car like you're saying. There is not much, obviously, that... Um, you will be crying about considering how much you're paying. But I think they've done a great job, especially considering that inside you now have, you know, a a, uh, a reverse camera, which is a nice to have. You know, you've got a seven-inch infotainment little screen on your, on, on the dash. Um, you've got Android and um, and Apple CarPlay in the car. So I think they've tried their best to make sure that, you know what, um, the cabin should at least look fun, friendly, and it's very fun. It's very playful inside. I have to give it that. They've really upped everything in there. You know, you've got this um, digital dials that are going on um, instead of the analog, um, obviously within the model that I've been um, spending the weekend with, uh, which is um, the S uh, sorry, which is the S edition model. And um, you've got everything that you would hardly get, obviously, in your other um, cars, actually, um, your, your expensive cars, you know. I mean, I'm talking about here yeah, um, Android and Apple CarPlay. That's a big thing. Yeah. And for some, for somebody um, like Suzuki and in this budget car to introduce that w- within this car, I think they're really trying to make sure that you don't feel that um, it's a budget car, really. But I really enjoyed it.
0: I mean, you mentioned the fact that it even has a reverse camera, which uh, not so long ago was a um, luxury component that you'd get in a you know expensive yes. German vehicle or expensive vehicle. Um, but now Suzuki have gone out and done that. Uh, are, you know, other things like airbags. Do they come standard? And, um, can you get this car in both manual and automatic?
2: So oh, yes, um, there are things obviously. Um, so I've been driving the top of the range um, edition S edition. So you, you I have everything in the car, I mean beauty, um, like we we spoke about the reverse camera and everything and all the trims and finishes that you have on here. You've got everything that you uh, that you would potentially want in a car. And now there are what well, there are variants as well that do come with only automatic and there are other variants that come with automatic and, and, and manual. Obviously it's a five speed um, uh, automatic and a five speed uh, manual as well. And mm. you're not, uh, I'm going to just tell you that if you, you're not looking for power in this car, um, that's the least, that's the, the last thing you're going to be looking at um, when you buy this car. You're not buying it for the power and anything. You literally, I think, just, you know, buying it to as a city slicker, you're trying to get from point A to, to point B. And that's one thing that I actually have to put out there for people, you know, who want to go out to get this car. Um, it's a it's a great car. It's a great car, but you're not going to be putting your foot down expecting to get 300 newton meters of torque.
0: <laughs> you're not expecting it to get 300 me- newton meters of torque, but you're expecting to get uh, quite a good range from the fuel tank.
2: Definitely, definitely. So, <clears throat> excuse me. There. So the thing is, which um, Suzuki came out to say, you know what, ne um, this car is going to average 4.9 litres per 100 kilometres. Sure. Now, that is very low. And now I've spent the entire weekend with the car and I've literally got 4.2 per 100 kilometres. So, I think about it. I mean, and I have a heavy foot. Mm. So, I, I have to say that uh, it's, you are going to be saving most of your money um, in the fuel department, I have to say that.
0: In terms of um, the car's um makeup and the look of the vehicle from the outside i mean it's for me it's not the most attractive it's not the easiest on the eye but you can yeah. kind of see that suzuki had a plan and, and and it almost looks like they tried to make it a bit more rugged a bit more meaner than than what yeah. you would think it is because of the fact that it's such a small vehicle
2: definitely so they tried to make uh, you know SUVs um to have an SUV appeal um it's quite it's got a hundred and eighty millimeter ground um ground clearance. So they've tried to make it a rugged um, you know, we spoke about um another crossover that we spoke about um the past week or so. And now that's what they've also tried to do in here. It's I mean budget cars I don't think they are focusing on looks. Um and I honestly I'm also not a fan of the looks. Um but I it it does the job. I think that front Grill on on its own in in entirety, and, and it's it's quite mean looking. It's trying to look mean, but I mean, hey, it's really a, a, a budget car. But I have to say that um, where they've lagged in looks, they've definitely put it down. You know, I mean, in terms of the interior, in terms of um, you know, even with airbags, you know, mm. um, what people don't realize is that with these budget cars, um, they actually some some budget cars do not actually have airbags in in, in, in the car. You know, and. Suzuki came out and said, "Listen, we're slapping two airbags in this um, in this lower car, so it's it's a great thing that they've made up for. You know, where you can kind of overlook the looks and you know um, look at other elements of the car."
0: In terms of size of the physical vehicle, what kind of uh, car would you compare it to? And um, maybe you can even give some diameter, uh, some um, yeah, the, the diameters of the car, the measurements of the car.
2: So. um when it when it comes to the size of the car, I mean, you're looking at a competitor of, um, you know, this that Sun go, You're looking at the Renault Quid, and those are the exact um, the, those are the, the competitors that this car has. I mean, you, you, it's nothing big. It's nothing wow. Um, I mean, right now it it, it it is wow right now, but then I, it's not really that uh, that big of a car. Um, I actually don't have the exact um, diameters and the length um, of the car, but it's it's nothing. Um are you, I doubt you're actually going to be sitting in the car comfortably. I mean, um, when you look at your posture and how how tall of a guy you are, you understand what I'm mm. So it's not a really big car. It's really just competing with the Renault Quiz, mm. your Datsun goals, um and even its own uh, brother, which is the uh, Suzuki Solario.
0: And I'd expect you to be competing with those vehicles in terms of price range as well, Kumbi. Um, what do, do this uh, Suzuki Espresso go for where where do they start on the retail market?
2: So when when it comes to to to, to the pricing um, Suzuki have, have in house, I think they've perfected and they've nailed it. So the Suzuki price starts from hundred and thirty four thousand nine hundred. And that's obviously for your entry level GL model. And when it comes to the model that I've been spending the weekend with um it goes all the way to one hundred and sixty thousand rand. Uh, but, you know, you need to factor in the fact that um, this is a um, top-of-the-range model and it's an automatic model as well. So that will always, obviously, um, make the price go higher. But, I mean, for 160,000 Renbouche, I mean, I don't think that you'll be getting uh, there's any base price of uh, of a... Of a car you can get somewhere out there where you'll be um, you'll be having so much luxuries like you do in the Suzuki Espresso, honestly.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, look, if you're paying 134000 or 160000 for 4.9 litres per 100 kilometres, or as you said, 4.2, um, yes. yeah, definitely, I think it, it might definitely be worth it. Uh, but you're saying you mentioned the fact that it's like a Renault Quid. It's a small car. It's it, and it, it it plays very well in that segment. Uh, but let's talk yeah. about the cabin space. I mean, you said I, as a uh, you know a six foot two gentleman, would not fit yeah. into into that car comfortably. And if I do, nobody can sit behind me most probably. But uh, <laughs> um, if I then were to look at the boot space as well, and if you were to put four average sized human beings in that vehicle, a family of four. Would it be comfortable enough for everybody
2: to be honest 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 with you right now, Boucher, you you would not be comfortable in the car obviously i mean it's it's very small, and like you're saying you' are six foot two, and if you have to put myself in the in the in the back seat um it's going to be very very uncomfortable for myself i mean I'm just under i, I think uh five 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 eight So I'm going to be very uncomfortable, and um, it's not also the most comfortable ride that you're getting. I mean, um, the chassis is not that um, – they they even put a lot into the car, obviously, since it's a budget car. Mm. So you're going to be very uncomfortable. The boot space, I mean, you can fit in um, a a bag here or two, a school bag and et cetera, but you're not going to be um, saying, listen, a family of four would go on a road trip to to, to Durban from Pretoria, because you're going to be very, very uncomfortable. So you're going to be saving a lot of money in fewer years, but then it's, it's quite, it's, it's a very uncomfortable car, especially for for, for adults, for full-grown adults.
0: I mean, it screams starter pack, really. It screams college student, it screams first job, uh, and it screams if you really need a vehicle and you might not be uh, able to afford something bigger, yes. definitely go for it. Uh, if you compare yes. it to its uh, other rivals in its segment, where does yes. this car stand for you? I
2: think, Right now, um, as a car that's obviously just been launched and is still trying to find its feet in the in, in the market, um, I do hope that actually it you know it makes strides in, in, in the in the segment. I think right now, for me personally, um, you know, Datsun Nissan Datsun when when they brought out the the Datsun Go and also Renault now with the Quid, I think they have kind of taken over that market share, obviously of the budget um, of the budget car segment. But I honestly see the Suzuki Espresso. Um, I think in a year or two, I think a lot of people are going to be going for these cars. And I think also because now you you are offered um, so much luxuries, luxuries, and you offered an an, um, an automatic gearbox as well. And so I think a lot of people would be going in for um, for for the Suzuki Espresso. And also, I think the one thing is that we hear, um, all these cars basically almost share a similar engine and um, these mm-hmm. are all naturally rated engines i mean 50 kilowatt and 19 newton meters of torque so it's literally uh, what you it's all about now aesthetic when you get into the car because you're going to go to a run out and look into the quid and it's how what it makes you feel and i feel like the suzuki express actually brings up so many emotions in the car i mean the the, the contrast stitching within the car and everything they really pop up i mean i didn't feel that i'm driving a budget car. It, that, I think that's one thing that just perfected in the, the cabin. I mean, the looks of the cabin. The, the cabin. I think they've perfected that and I honestly hope that, you know what, they can get their market share and, yeah, right now, Renault Creed is just honestly bossing that market because I mean there are so many Renault quid that I see on the road
0: and uh, it's probably because it looks better at the moment than uh, the <laughs> Suzuki Espresso but hey uh, that's just my opinion quickly uh, Kumi what do you score this uh, car out of 10 and what kind of a sports star would you see in this vehicle
2: so I'm going to be giving the the, the car the particular model that I drove I think I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 i I've, particularly enjoy driving this car and the fact that I have not spent so much money on fuel is obviously a big thing when it comes to the budget budget segment and when it comes to um, obviously the <laughs> the sports star, I'm going to have to give it to a rugby player. Um, you know, a short, study um, stubby is a quick stepper, yes, but then in, in, in this moment is just obviously um short as well. So I'm gonna give it to Apalile Fassi. Um I think he he's quite a starter as well, getting into in, into the field and he's doing quite great, just like the Suzuki Espresso.
0: Kumbi, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks for having me. He
0: was reviewing the Suzuki Espresso. Go and check it out. It retails for about 134,900 rand.